Well, here in the second uh, Sunday of Lent, let me start with, of course, a question. Have you ever had a plan, something you wanted to accomplish, but it didn't go quite according to your plan, but in the end, the thing still got accomplished? I'm thinking, for me, this is like every home improvement project that I've ever undertaken. You start with a plan, and of course, as soon as you cut something or do, you know, all of a sudden, the plan is out the window, and you're turning more off. Maybe that's just me running to the hardware store to pick up the plumbing pieces that you suddenly discover that you need, or the electrical things that you suddenly discovered that you need. Often, you go into it with a plan, and the plan doesn't go quite according to your plan. Maybe in the end, you still end up with whatever the goal was accomplished. I think oftentimes uh, I've made things worse before they get better. Um, also, there's a fair number of those projects still waiting completion. Um, and my wife will amen that. <laughs> Sometimes plans don't always go according to our plan. This morning we're going to be looking at two significant moments in the narrative of Scripture. Uh, kind of the, the broad story that is told throughout the Bible. And, and these two kind of highlights are the, the Abrahamic covenant, the, the covenant that God makes with Abraham here in Genesis 15. Um, but also then later, Jesus' acknowledgement, maybe that that covenant seems on the surface to have gone sideways. Uh, the deal cut um, seems to be incomplete. And we're going to take a look at these two moments in the story. And as we do that, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. Continue to move and prompt in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the story of the Abrahamic covenant, the story, the, the covenant with Abraham, uh, really emerges in three sections. In Genesis 12, we have the storeway, the, the storeway, the story uh, of Yahweh calling Abram up out of Ur, and he promises to make uh, Abram into a great nation, and that eventually, through his descendants, all people will be blessed. All nations will be blessed. The entire world will be blessed through the descendants of Abram. That's what happens in chapter 12. In our story, in our scripture passage this morning in Genesis 15, we see the actual covenant-making ceremony. The, the moment where, we'll get there in a moment, literally the deal is cut. All right? We've kind of heard that term maybe to, to cut a deal. That is a very literal thing that happens in Genesis 15. Later then in Genesis 17, Yahweh reaffirms the commitment to make Abram the father of many nations and renames him as we're used to calling him Abraham. 
But here in Genesis 15, Yahweh's promise of making Abram into a great nation uh, that has happened in chapter 12 where, where uh, Yahweh, God, makes that, that promise. It hasn't happened so far. And, and Abram is questioning, you know, I, you know, I still have only this, this heir that's not related to me. I'd really like to, to pass on my my wealth, but my, my name, my uh, influence, I'd like to pass that down through my own heir. And this is where God says, it will be passed down through your own issue. And, and, you know, we laughed about that earlier, but if you go back and read how the, the, the um, line of Abraham kind of continues, issue is not too light of a word to describe the family dynamics that will unfold over the next several generations. So Yahweh invites Abram to go and to count the stars to see how many descendants he will have. And add to that the promise of possessing the land of Canaan. But Abram asks, how do I know all this will happen? God has Abram go out and begin to collect all these sacrificial animals, to to collect them together. And then what happens is Abram begins to prepare for an ancient covenant-making ceremony. And what would happen in these ceremonies was they would collect these sacrificial animals. Remember, this is a little different than, uh, than our world, how we make a, sign a deal. You, you, you know, if you sign a, get a piece of property, you might go and you have witnesses and, and all of the signing of documents. It's very different in the ancient world. They sacrifice these animals, they cut them in half, and then they kind of spread them around. And the two parties that were making the covenant together would stand in the midst of all these animal parts and they would make their commitment to one another. And in essence, what they are saying is, if I break this covenant, may I be like this sacrifice. So we sign our signature and and make our deals, cut our deals, but this covenant is literally cutting a deal and agreeing that if I break this covenant, may I be cut in half. It's a very serious commitment that is being made between two parties. Those of you who have had to make some kind of deal or sign a contract, how many people are usually involved in signing those contracts? Two. Two or more, right? Have you ever signed a contract that is you agreeing to do it yourself without any kind of stipulation from the other party? I would think that in most cases that would be a little silly, right? If there's not some other party, if there's not some other commitment or agreement on, on behalf of the other person, it might seem a little silly. But look at what happens in this story. Abram prepares the sacrifices and then he falls into a deep sleep and the mood changes and becomes very ominous. 
And in his sleep, Abram sees a smoking fire pot and a lit torch pass between the halves of the animal. And Yahweh enters into the covenant and says, this will happen. This is my covenant with you. But it is God, it is Yahweh, standing in the midst of the sacrifices. Yahweh is making the covenant, is making the commitment, is steps into the midst of the animals and cuts the deal. And then throughout Scripture, we see the unfolding of this covenant. And let's be honest, the unfolding of that covenant is less than smooth. It doesn't really go according to plan, at least a plan that I see. It's very, it's very up and down and bumpy and all over the place. Abraham will try to force his own fulfillment of the covenant. Isaac and Jacob have their own deceit and their own struggles grasping at the covenant. 400 years as slaves in Egypt, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, failures to follow the way of God. People reject Yahweh as their own king in favor of a human one. Goes about as well as you would expect. King David, it's a kind of becomes possibly a high moment until the whole Bathsheba episode. King Solomon asks for, for wisdom and, and, and things are, are very fruitful under Solomon. And yet he starts collecting wives and concubines and building up his military and, and, and just kind of moving away from following Yahweh. Split the kingdom, series of evil kings, some flashes of faithfulness. It leads to exile. And by the time of Jesus, it would seem this covenant fulfillment has gone sideways. The Jewish people have been oppressed by the Romans. They're not really interested in blessing other nations. In fact, they've concocted all kinds of additional rules and laws about not blessing or eating with people of other nations. A good Jew isn't going to sit down to the table with a Gentile or with a Samaritan or, you know, they want nothing to do with the Romans. They're not interested in blessing other nations, just holding on to it for themselves. So, what's going on? We flip forward in the story to Luke chapter 13. And what's, in, uh, what's happening in the story is Jesus has slowly been making his way to Jerusalem. He's, he's teaching and he's healing. He, he's driving out demons and, and, and he's enacting his ministry. He's, he's starting to, to revolutionize things and, and, and change people's hearts and change people's lives. Local Pharisees come and warn Jesus that Herod is out to get him. And we're unsure whether the Pharisees are genuinely concerned about Jesus or whether they're just trying to get Jesus to move on from their town. Uh, you know, Herod's out to get you. At least move from here and go bother someone else. And so they come and they warn Jesus that, that Herod is after them. And Jesus responds 
go tell that fox I'm working. And he says, besides, I'm not yet at Jerusalem. And of course, we can't go killing prophets unless he's in Jerusalem. And then Jesus looks at, towards Jerusalem and laments. He says, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets rather than heeding the prophets, rather than listening to them, rather than taking it to heart, you, you just kill the messengers. He says, how I've longed to be a, a mothering God to you, to pull you in under my wing and to shelter you. Jesus maybe remembers Yahweh telling Abram that he would be a shield and a shelter, but the people have resisted and pushed and held God at a distance. And this covenant that has been made, you've been pushing and resisting. You're not the blessing that you've been invited and called to be. You've wandered and not been faithful. And now there's a covenant that I made, that God made, that Jesus is part of, that must be paid for. There's a thing that must happen. The gospel accounts all in their own ways show how Jesus kind of at one point in his ministry sets his eyes on Jerusalem and steadily moves himself in that direction. And that movement towards Jerusalem is always meant to be a one-way journey. Jesus knows what going to Jerusalem will cost. That's where prophets go to die to give their message, but that's where they always end up dying. And slowly the disciples and those around Jesus, they start to catch on. This is a one-way trip. The descendants of Abraham have not been the blessing they were intended to be. They're under the thumb of Rome and they're not in possession of the land. And though Yahweh has tried and tried to get these people back on the right path, giving them the law, giving them the Torah, give, you know, even when, when they're asking for a king, God says, I'll give you the king. Maybe you'll listen to the king. Maybe the king will lead you in the right direction. God knows that it's not really going to turn out that well. God sends the prophets to give them a message to get them back on course, but they kill the prophets. God sends them to time out in exile. And that ends up not entirely working. Remnants, groups of folks that remain faithful. But Jesus will step in now and pay the price for a covenant that appears to not be complete. And in so doing... In Jesus paying that price, he brings the covenant to its completion. Finally, through the descendant of Abraham and through the descendant of David, through the faithfulness of the new human one, all nations will 
be blessed. And Luke is anticipating, looking forward to how the the completion of this covenant will allow for Gentiles to be grafted in. He'll spend time in Acts uh, telling us this story about how those that are Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, who are not privileged in, in knowing the law and being raised under the law, now have access, now can be included in, now can receive the blessing because of Jesus. A reconstituted people of God a faithful remnant of the old stump and new grafts from the Gentiles. Possession of land that moves beyond Palestine. The whole world is intended to see the blessing of God's people in right relationship. And it's pointed towards new heavens and new earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Jesus is bringing this old covenant to fulfillment and establishing a new covenant of love. You know, one of the beautiful things, though, about Scripture is that it's this this unfolding story that we get to read about and see in Scripture. And it's also a story that continues to unfold, that continues to reveal its truth in our own lives, in our own time. And so just as Jesus looked towards Jerusalem and lamented that the people had not been gathered in, we're we're holding God at a distance. I think sometimes Jesus is still lamenting, looking on at his people, but also inviting. Jerusalem, my people in different places, Washington, D.C., Moscow, the cities that kill the prophets and stone those who are sent and silence the voices of the powerless. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. And it's here that the invitation is extended Jesus, who has paid the price for an incomplete covenant. Jesus, who has died in the place of sinners. Jesus, who has shown us the loving heart of God. Jesus, who we claim as King and Lord. Who says to the nations, who says to the rich and the powerful, who try to protect themselves through their own force and coercion. Jesus, who says to the marginalized, and the displaced, the widows, and the orphans. Jesus, the one who says to you and to me, how often have I desired to gather you children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Are you willing? Are we willing to be covered, to be protected, to find ourselves in the shelter of Jesus' love. A God who again and again longs to be in relationship with us. 
willing to hide in the shelter of the Almighty God, Yahweh said to Abram, I will be your shield. Jesus says to Jerusalem, I will be your mother hen. I will gather you under my wing. That's what I would long to do, to welcome my children in. In all of their brokenness, in all of the the things that have gone wrong in their life, in all the times that they have turned away from this covenant, in all the ways that they have uh, held me at a distance, in all the ways that they've resisted being a blessing to others, in all the ways that they've failed to proclaim the good news, I still long to welcome them in, to shelter them, to shelter you under my wing. Are you willing? The old covenant has found its fulfillment. We are all invited into the blessing and into relationship with God. And though the invitation is extended, Jesus will not force or coerce anyone into the kingdom. It's an invitation come under the shelter, to come under the protection, to come into the way of Jesus, to accept that his death has paid the price for your sin, for all the the brokenness around us. Are you willing? This morning we're going to be uh, singing the words uh, from an old gospel hymn, He Hideth My Soul. I'm going to invite you to turn in your brown hymnal to number 611. The invitation is open to be hidden, to be covered under the protection of Jesus, to stop holding God at a distance, to find our shelter, our protection in him. Would you stand as we sing together again number uh, 611 in the brown hymnal, He Hideth My Soul.